If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks, please. Thank you. And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Friday, March 29th, which is just after the GLAAD Media Awards. And did you get to see that last night at all? Or I didn't get to see it, but I have just finished watching the first season of She-Ra, which I feel like was a, it was kind of a, a, its own GLAAD Awards. <laughs> I was I was pretty amazed at how how gay that show is and how great it is. So, um, yeah, I, I'm getting ready for season two, so I just wanted to tell you that I, I'm all caught oh, up good, now. good, good. I, I yeah. have to admit, Alice and I watched that uh, when it... That's Netflix, right? Or Yes, yes. No, I really enjoyed that, but circling back on the award show last night, a Steven Universe, Cartoon Networks, just finished its fifth season, became the first ever animated series to win the Outstanding Kids and Family Programming Award at the, at the GLAAD Media Awards. It's only the second year, though, for the category, and I guess the Disney Channel Andy Mack took the inaugural award. Oh, wow, I didn't yeah. know that. So Steven Universe has kind of been on the radar from the get-go because, of course, Rebecca Sugar, who had done all of that wonderful work on uh, Adventure Time, and got a shot at doing her own show after being a writer and a storyboard artist on Penn's yeah. show. And, you know, from day one, it's it's been this wonderfully inventive, genuinely kind of loopy show that has these wonderful left turns when it comes to characters. Through your, your friendship with Penn, did you have any interaction with Rebecca at all, or...? No, I never met Rebecca, but I always knew that she was like this kind of like rising star mm-hmm. in animation. And he talked very, you know, kindly about mm-hmm. her. And I think she kind of took from him how to sort of run a show mm-hmm. in a very kind, kind of open way. There's, you know, there's been some scandals that have kind of like plagued children's animation shows recently. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, she obviously wanted to stay away from from any kind of like bad vibes and yeah i think the show is is amazing mm-hmm. and it has been since the beginning it's gotten a little kind of like plotty recently <laughs> and it's kind of been harder to follow did you see that piece of animation that was done for the last episode of the fifth season where they actually brought in james baxter to animate it no oh it's it's how did you not tell me about I, this, Jim? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just it was <laughs> it was out there. You know, I just assumed that everybody had seen it, but you definitely chase this down. It's sort of Stephen there's no other way to describe it. It's Stephen sort of merging with himself, but it's this masterful piece of animation. And you're right. It became very, very plotty. And if you you turned away for a minute or two, it's like, what's going on? Where's Periodot? I I don't understand. (laughs) You know, right. I guess there's a Steven universe, the movie coming this fall on cartoon network. And is that in lieu of a sixth season or? I don't know if it's ending and, you know, Star vs. the Forces of Evil are ending. It's going to be it's going to be a tough animation landscape if those two are going yeah, away. I know. I know. But circling back to Penn and one of the nicer things when Adventure Time 
ended is that Rebecca wrote that wonderful song for the last episode. Yeah, that was so great. I guess she debuted it at Comic-Con, and it was just great footage of this entire room. I don't think it was Hall H, but it was one of the bigger rooms. You know, it, it, the entire room in tears, so it was like, right, oh. Making nerds cry <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> well, let's switch to news of, of making nerds happy. Okay. The sausage party ruling just this week. I'm not going to pretend that Sausage Party was my favorite film, animation-wise. You know, came out in August of 2016. Look, I'm happy whenever animators and animation artists are hired and out there working. So Sausage Party had a, a price point of $19 million, made $140 million at the box office. So it actually came into a profit. I mean, it was a financial success of... If not a critical success, because you and I both remember those reviews. Yeah, I was uh, I was a little baffled by. So, I mean, I'm I'm always happy when animation kind of like goes outside of what we think of it as in sort of Western terms. But um, yeah, I was <laughs> yes, <laughs> still still figuring that one out. Yeah. yeah. Uh. Well, but here's the thing that on the heels of the success of the film, I want to say it was the folks over at Cartoon Brew that actually broke this story that. A lot of the people who had worked on the film, because of the way the language is written, uh, particularly for the Vancouver market, which is, I mean, has all of the the gaming companies up there and visual effects houses and, of course, animation studios, because of the way the language was written, it was like, this is CG work. You don't get overtime. When you're working on the launch of a game, people dream of a 40-hour work week because they typically change their desk for 60 hours, 80 hours, whatever. And the animation artists did not see it this way. Uh, they got the Canadian government involved. And earlier this week, the British Columbia Employment Standards Branch, they ruled that the animation artists who worked on Sausage Party were, in fact, entitled to receive overtime pay. This past week, I've been circling back on the book Fatal Subtraction. If, if you've read this through, the... No, what is that? It's the the book about the Eddie Murphy movie coming to America, where, remember, political columnist Art Bookwald had written a script about a African prince who had come to America, and evidently he was able to prove that Paramount had, in fact, seen the script, it had been in the building, and he was entitled to some of the profits for coming to America, which was a hugely successful film, until this judgment came down, and then suddenly in the, the grand tradition of Hollywood bookkeeping, it's like, oh no, it's still in the red. We have not made any money yet. Right. I'm just kind of worried that when it comes to Sausage Party, are people now frantically behind the scene cooking the books? Well, the the ruling was pretty substantial, mm-hmm. wasn't it? I mean, it was it was over $100 million or something, wasn't it, to the workers? Yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, when you make a $100 million ruling and a film has only made $140 million, it's like, oh, good luck with that. Right. But, and it, that's got to be split between the folks at Nitrogen and Anapurin and Point Grey and also Columbia Pictures. And I guess Sony distributed mm-hmm. and all that. Oh, oh speaking of Nitrogen, though, you, you were mentioning that just... This afternoon, we had some news break for them, right? Yeah, that they debuted the first poster for their Adams Family animated film that's coming out in October, on October 11th. Mm-hmm. Very interesting look for the characters and the, the movie in general. It seems like they're kind of trying to capture the Charles Adams, New Yorker cartoon spirit a little bit. Yeah, it's definitely 
stylized. Mm-hmm. I'm one of those people who likes to actually see animated characters move. Right. I get what you're saying. It does have that pseudo, if you've seen the, the, the cartoons of the collections of, you know, the work that Charles Adams did versus the television show from the 1960s and you know, the two films mm-hmm. from the late 80s, early 90s. I'm, uh, I'm optimistic. Did you see that Bette Midler is doing a voice? I just saw it? that. Grandmama. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. And Charlize Theron is Maticia? Yeah. And Oscar Isaac is Gomez. It's a, it's a, it's a pretty stacked cast. Okay. okay. And you were also pointing out they have a release date of October 11th, which I think, as we've, we've talked previously, proved to really be lucrative uh, for Sony Pictures Animation, at least with the first two, uh, Hotel Transylvania films. But then three was released as a, you know, a summer film. Have we heard anything about four yet do they have a release date for that one or well remember that one's christmas oh god that's gonna be a christmas yeah okay seeing as we're talking about dates folks turns out the show again when it gets posted it's going to be on april 2nd but the day before the april 1st that was when it was first known as movie tune studios uh eventually became disney tune studios opened and you had a front row seat for at least a couple of years of the operation. I <laughs> well, I mean, I had a front row seat for its its inevitable decline, really. But yeah, I mean, I worked uh, one building over from this building, so they always had uh, better snacks. So I'd come over and kind of walk around, and th- there would be weird stuff from the archive that was kind of sitting around. Like they had the the Captain EO ship. The model. Oh my God! I, I re- was just it was just in a glass case because I think we you and I have done a couple of press days. There yeah, together too. Do you rem- yeah. Do you remember they they actually had the cauldron from the Black Cauldron? Yes, yes, they had that. This was in the early days of of CG, and so what they do is they do these photo captures of these props. I mean, for example, they had Amos Slade's car. From Fox and the Hound in that same display? Yep. yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. And it was just like, it was just in this glass case next to like a TV with an Xbox <laughs> attached to it. You know, it was like, it was totally out of place. Yeah. Yeah. But I loved it. I loved looking at all that stuff. And, you know. This was one of the buildings that Imagineering swallowed during the camps expanded in in both directions when they were building Epcot. And I want to say this was the building that, they built coffins in uh excuse me no seriously <laughs> this used to be a coffin factory and to go in there and how they'd blown out the roof and it was wonderful and light and this beautiful space and you could see how this would be a great place to work and uh, that was kind of the heartbreaker of you know when they had this shut down but we're getting ahead of ourselves here folks it's, well, yeah we are we this are, is we are. the second half of the show so tell you what we're going to take a quick commercial break and then come back and, and talk about the history of of Disney movie tunes. Before we get started here, we've got the other big news, which is Mickey's PhilharMagic, after years, is now finally going to open at Disney California Adventure. What's your take on this? I thought it was very weird. It, it's it's weird that they're just kind of plopping it in there. I mean, I understand why. Mm-hmm galaxy's edge you know people are gonna have to go somewhere no i agree but yeah. you know there, it's there's like sort of no kind of like pomp and circumstance to this it's just sort of there it's just gonna seemingly just be there one mm-hmm. day i don't think there's gonna be any theming 
I was just in that building for when I was doing Minnie's Moonlit Madness. Mm -hmm. And it's just like an anonymous building at this point. I think they were doing like previews of Captain Marvel or something in there or meet and greets. But I think, you know, for you and I, I think the most disappointing thing about it is it, it really means that Muppets is never going back in that theater ever. I mean, I, the the animatronics are gone. The The stage stuff is gone. So I think that's the most maybe disappointing thing. As much as I love Mickey's Fillmore Magic, mm. that's it for me. I don't know how you feel about it. I was just talking with somebody at the Disney Products Experiences and Parks and Envelope Licking. I, I don't know what other department right. has now been now under Bob Chapek's Ballywick. But according to people in Products... The Muppets have never made this much money for the Disney company. The Muppet Baby Show that debuted on Disney Junior this time last year it is is a huge hit. And between the baby clothes and the plush toys and the bath toys and all that, this is now a genuine revenue stream. And I know that there is supposedly a new Muppet show in the works for Disney+. Plus. In fact... We're 10 days out now from the big announcement on the 11th? Yes, yeah. Pop the hood and tell us what's going on there. Yeah, I don't know what the status of those are because I know one of them was sort of based off of a, a tour that has yet to materialize. So, yeah, 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 we'll see. Okay. But no, you're you're right about PhilharMagic, and you've nailed why it's open. That With as many bodies as are showing up, the anticipation that when they close Disneyland, they have to send people somewhere... And it would be helpful on a summer where Bugs Land is no longer there. So you've lost those five rides worth of capacity. So a 12 minute long movie that you can bump four audiences through every hour, that'll help take some of the heat off. Oh, yeah, for sure. For years now, there have been these discussions about freshening PhilharMagic. This debuted at the Magic Kingdom in 2003. And when you look at CG from 2003, <laughs> it, it's a little rough. It's a little rough. <laughs> yeah. And when you think about Glenn Keane actually used Ariel in this film, uh, you know, the, her appearance in this film is sort of a dry run for what he was going to try to do with Rapunzel. Yeah. I remember this was, this was a big research and development sort of project for a lot of those animators, right? About like trying to see if they could. Oh, yeah bring these characters to dimensional life. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like the stopgap in between the original animated movies and these live-action remakes. Sort of like, can we do it? Can we pull it off? And mostly, I would say, it's the answer if you watch the movie. But it's amazing that there haven't been... I was asking you before the show if there were ever any, like, updates, but there never have been. It's the yeah. same animation from yeah. back then. Yeah. You know, when you get to the Aladdin sequence, the whole new world, you look at Jasmine, you look at Aladdin, you know, they're just this side of Rankin-Bass. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with Rankin-Bass, but it's just sort of, that was the cheat. That was the place they had to do this. And this opens October of 2003, and if you, we jump back to January of 2003, that was when David Staten showed up in Florida at, at Walt Disney Studios of Florida and said, hey, we're closing you. And, oh, by right. the way, we're becoming an all-CG company, so get with the program. So for this to be one of the first things out the door right after that announcement was always fascinating. But we promised we'd talk about the history of movie tunes and Disney, uh, you know, uh, Disney Tune Studio. So, so let's get to yeah. that. Okay, so April 1st, 1990, company announces that they're launching this brand new division of Walt Disney Animation Studios, and they're going to be operating out of a facility in Glendale. And 
I guess we should have found out where that facility was because I don't think it was the casket factory then. <laughs> but the first movie out of the gate that goes out under this title really has nothing to do with the folks in Glendale. It's it's DuckTales, uh, the movie, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, and that was done by Disney Animation in France. Which is no longer around. And then, you know, the very next thing that, that goes out under their name, May of 1994, is The Return of Jafar, which, let's be honest here, Drew, that's really, what, the first three or four episodes of the Aladdin, the animated series? Yeah. But do you remember when that thing came out? That was a huge deal. It was. It was. It, it was crazy how much heat was around mm-hmm. that. Even without Robin Williams, it was an insane. <laughs> well, in fact, that's Dan Castellaneta did the genie mm-hmm. for that movie as well as the bulk of the series. We jump ahead a year, 1995, and we get a real movie. We get a we get the Goofy movie. Now, mind you, right. a bunch of studios worked in this one. Disney Animation Australia, Disney Animation Canada, and Disney Animation France. But that one got a theatrical release. And, and again, based on on how good the work was on that, in fact, that was when they decided, okay, we're going to give Disney Animation France its very own feature, and they ended up doing Tarzan. We were just talking about Aladdin, so August of 96. The next thing out of out the door from Disney Movie Tunes is Aladdin and the King of Thieves. That's a real movie. It's a real movie. Animated by Australia and uh, Disney Animation Japan. And this is the one where Robin Williams comes back. In fact, I guess they threw out Dan Castellanet had recorded everything for this thing. And oh, really? Yeah. And it, you know, it's just sort of like, thank you, Dan. <laughs> and out the window it goes. And now it's like, okay, it's a going concern. And so on the back of the heat of Return to Jafar, the number of units, the VHS cassettes that they sold, it's like, oh, let's come to mama. You know, so the next thing we get is Pooh's Grand Adventure. The Search for Christopher Robin, and this is animated by uh, Disney Animation Japan. In fact, Disney Animation Japan, if you if it's a Pooh project, in- invariably it's the folks in Japan who do it. In fact, uh, in 2000, when the Tigger movie came out, they're the folks who who did that. And they do. Re- I love Disney Animation. Disney Animation Japan seem to have some really talented Ab- people. Absolutely, there. absolutely. If it, do you remember the story associated with that film that they brought? Paul Winchell in for one day because again it's the Tigger movie and so they bring Paul in to do start his first day of recording and they're they're sitting in the booth and as he starts doing the lines that everyone starts getting grimmer and grimmer because Paul had basically blown out his voice at that point and at the end of the day they thanked him and as soon as he walked out of the booth they said like get his agent We'll pay him for his full check for as if he recorded the entire film, but we need to get somebody else in here. And that's when Jim Cummings basically won the gig of voicing both Winnie the Pooh and Tigger. And I, I don't know if you ever heard the joke that John Fiedler, the original voice of Piglet, made. <laughs> was the, no. Just basically, I am so glad you can't do Piglet's voice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so... To run through this litany of films. So we get a lot of twos. We get a... September 2000, we get Little Mermaid 2, Return to the Sea. February, four months later, we get Lady and the Tramp 2, Scamp's Big Adventure, and then jump ahead to February 2002, and we get Return to Neverland, which 
again, they sent that one out theatrically, and and here's yeah. Disney Animation Australia, Animation Canada, Disney Animation Japan, and also Cornerstone Animation, and a lot of good animation during this same period. You had Roy Disney and Stanley Gold, who were like, you understand what you're you're doing to animation by releasing all of these direct-to-video sequels is you're under my you're making what we do less special if we jump ahead to november of 2003 that was one of the flags that roy planted in the ground when he was going after ISA would save disney you know to the effect of because you guys are being so nakedly greedy and making movies like 101 dalmatians to patches london adventure how dare you, Jim? How dare you? <laughs> yeah, um, so, okay, we, we, we jump ahead to March of 2004. There's the big shareholders meeting in, in Philadelphia, and he gets a 47% vote of no confidence. And as a result, Eisner gives up his chairmanship. I mean, he keeps, you know, he's still the CEO, but he gives up his chairmanship. And he also agrees that in basically a year or so's time, he will step away from the Disney company. And we still see all of these prequels and sequels, you know, Pooh's Heffalump movie, Tarzan 2, you know, Lilo and Stitch 2, Stitch is a Glitch coming out. But September 30th, 2005, Eisner resigns. Iger comes on as the big cheese. And then we get one more of the, the sort of classic films or sequels that I don't any of us were expecting or needed. That's something... <laughs> you know, Kronk's new groove. And don't get me wrong, I love Patrick Warburton. But again, it was just sort of like, did anybody walk away from the Emperor's new groove with, there were so many unanswered questions. <laughs> you know, it's like... Yeah, I've tried to watch Kronk's new groove a couple of times when it's on TV. It is, it is rough. Uh, I know, I know. But okay, so that's December 13th, 2005. January 25th, 2006. Disney buys Pixar and animation for $7.4 billion. And... One of the things that happened during that is that John Lasseter became the chief creative officer of Pixar Animation Studios, of Walt Disney Animation Studios, and he also began calling the shots over at Disney Toon. And John walked in the door, and there were a number of films. I mean, I remember one afternoon being someplace I really wasn't supposed to be, and I remember coming across a whiteboard that listed the next five years of films. And there was the Aristocats 2, Ugly Duckling Story, Chicken Little 2. They were still working on Dumbo 2 at that point, which I guess had been announced as far back as 2001 as part of the 60th anniversary of Dumbo. And the one that I really, really, I, to this day, I can't wrap my mind around was the Disney Dwarves series. When you worked at Disney, I did, remember did he, that. I remember that. Oh my God, it was, you got the backstory on the seven dwarves and, and how Dopey had been raised by a human family. Each of the dwarves were supposed to be a king within their own world. And, and they had, and I guess that's the conceit of the whole backstory of dwarves is that you're not supposed to know that, you know, when Snow, Snow White shows up at the cottage, the dwarves of all been sort of clued in to the fact that the evil queen is going to make an attempt to take her out. And so they all are kings in disguise who come together in this, this humble cottage to save her. I remember they had this one piece of art and, and Drew, I swear to God, 
friend of mine who worked in the project gave to me, and it's somewhere in this recycled paper heap I call a house. But it's right. it's of Grumpy sitting in a throne. But the thing is, it's Grumpy in the Conan the Barbarian pose from the end of the first Conan film when he's Amazing. the aged king. You know, and it's a right. teasing the king, king Kong. Yeah, and the, that's the thing. Yeah, but it's it's that exact same pose. It's that exact same look. But he's grumpy, and it's like someday I will find it, and we will put it up online, and then Disney's lawyers yes. will descend on us like wolves and kill us. But <laughs> that got canceled because John, look, can we make good movies? Can how about we try to make some good movies? And there was the stuff he just couldn't shut down because it was already in the pipeline. So. Bambi 2, Brother Bear 2, Fox and the Hound 2. And even then, though, they had announced the Disney Fairies product line, which will be a success like our Disney Princess line, and, you know, and Britney's going to always be the voice of Tinkerbell in the first movie. And that, I don't entirely know what the story is. I don't know if it was a, a story-driven decision or they weren't getting what they wanted in the booth or... But uh, eventually, Mae Whitman ends up as the new voice of Tinkerbell, and we get right. the first Tinkerbell movie in October of 2008. And then for a while there, we, we kind of get them like clockwork. Every fall, there's a 2009 Tinkerbell and the Lost Treasure, and 2010, there's Tinkerbell and the Great Fairy Rescue. And in between, there wasn't a new one again till 2012, Tinkerbell's Secret of the Wings, but... In between there, there were specials for the Disney Channel or ABC, I want to say, uh, the Great Fairy Games and the Great Fairy Bake Off or that sort of thing. But again, this is about the time you're there in the building and or, yeah. or the building adjacent. Yes, building adjacent. Can you talk a, a, a bit about, because obviously, you, you know, the folks at uh, Disney Toon didn't want to be one-trick ponies, so that's why we saw... The Planes series, you know, the, uh, how did they describe that again? From the World Above Cars? Yeah. Well, and those, both of those movies were theatrical releases, mm -hmm. too, which is kind of amazing. Yeah. It was just very interesting to watch that building kind of, like, slow down, mm. and then you would hear, oh, they're they're doing educational films, mm. and then, you know, <clears throat> Moana and uh, Wreck-It Ralph 2 were in that building mm. for a long time, and it was like, oh, okay, so... So what's going on? And nobody really said anything. And there were, you know, what's really exceptional is that they announced the the Tinkerbell movie after Never Beast. I forget what it was called. But then they also, just at the last D23, which was only yes, two years ago, yes. showed footage from the third Planes movie, which was like a Jets kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's weird that they just kind of like pulled the plug, especially with the streaming service. Like you'd think that you would need these kind of, assets but maybe not i totally agree and i guess the thing that really broke my heart is that if you look at planes fire and rescue i mean look the original planes movie a little shaky we didn't have a story but we need we had to make a movie anyway so you know we made a movie right on the other hand planes fire and rescue i thought they did a great job with in fact i think that planes fire and rescue has some of the scariest fire sequences in Hollywood history. I mean, the, the team that did the actual fire stuff for that thing really was doing some spectacular work. I mean, this is yeah. backdraft quality stuff. And I agree. To put it in a kid's film. So it's like, well, good night. <laughs> you know, hope the house doesn't catch on fire. Some interesting choices there. No, I agree. I remember writing my review of that one. And I, I said that, you know, this idea of like 
that they introduced sort of mortality into this world was really interesting and cool. I agree. I agree. Again, when speaking of mortality, the movie comes out on July 18th and on August 11th, 60 employees are cut from Disney Toon Studios. And and then it was kind of this weird slow motion death. I mean, Never Beast comes out in January of 2015 and then... It's not till June of last year that Disney finally officially closes Disney Toon Studios. I don't get it. At that point, they knew. They knew that Disney Plus was just over the horizon. Why, if you were bringing in this new subscription streaming service where you were looking for content, why would you not keep that up and running? I mean, are we once again sort of circling back on the blue sky idea? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I think it's funny, and you'll appreciate this kind of detail mm-hmm. that that people really knew that when Toon Studio was over mm-hmm. was when the chef that Lasseter had brought in to like make the the cafeteria better at Toon Studio mm-hmm. was fired. Oh, that's when people knew, like, okay, so now it's all just the same from the commissaries from the other studios. It's over. Like, th- this is no longer something. This is no longer a place. John Lasseter is coming, you know, once a week to take meetings. You know, it is done. Mm. So I thought that was kind of an interesting aside. That's a very interesting canary in the coal mine. (laughs) Yes. When the chef is fired, when the really good chef is fired, you know, you're in trouble. Yeah. Oh, this, this is why I love doing this show with you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, uh, okay. We, we were talking about jets, you know, the planes sequel, whatever that, that, never got made but you know, speaking of flying animated things dumbo is opening at theaters around the country right now have you have you seen no it no oh. but we're going to try to get to see it this weekend and one of the reasons i i want to see it is danny devito and at the junket you got this amazing interview with danny you are one of the few actors who you're in a disney an adaptation of a disney animated movie and you've been a voice in a disney animated movie that's right you were Tatis. yeah uh what do you remember from that experience? oh i remember that being a great experience and also a big thing is that what's fun is when you're you know when you're talking to people or and uh some kid will go you know i recognize your voice yeah from i say what and they say you know they know hercules and they that's really fun i've done a couple of uh i did my my little pony years ago because my kids were my daughter was into it and i so i played a part in that the first i think my little pony and then um lorax was fun too oh, yeah. so you know i've done that kind of thing it's really good right now i'm doing another disney movie called one and only ivan and i play a dog Oh, the yes. with Angelina Jolie. Yeah, with uh, with uh, yeah. With, Do you remember when Jack Nicholson, your buddy, was also in Hercules? Do you know that he was originally Hades? Oh, did he ever talk to you about no, that? No, no. Okay, no. yeah. He was in it. He was going to be in it, and then he asked for I think something like some uh, you know a oh, percentage you of the merchandise. Him. Oh, they offered. But you you can see actual artwork of him as Hades. Oh, yeah. It's really interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah, with the sunglasses and and everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, try to use his image, I guess. Yeah. You know? <laughs> This is a big thing about Jack. It's like he's uh, iconic and, you know, and I think that, you know, if you're going to put him up there with sunglasses and, a, and looking like him, he probably should give him a piece of the action. Yeah. <laughs> I think his uh, deal on Batman was very favorable. But, Lucrative, uh, as they say. Yes. <laughs> um, how, how did this, this project come to be? Well, Tim 
has been working on this for a while, I imagine. And what he called me a couple of years ago. I was doing The Price on Broadway. And uh, he said, We're, you know, what is your schedule? What do you do? And I was tied up with uh, The Price for a few months. And, and we just hoped for the best because he thought he, he was, we almost overlapped and I couldn't leave them. I wouldn't leave them. The play, uh, and um, it worked out great. And just, uh, just I, I don't think I would be really happy with myself right now if I wasn't in Dumbo. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It was just like having the family together again with Tim and with with Michael. That was really sp- special for us, and we had such a good time on the on the set. And you know, and then of course. Uh, Big Fish was like a similar character, but of course I was a werewolf in that, and that was my first nude scene. <laughs> and uh, but uh, Max Medici is really special because he, you know, his family, his circus is dear to his heart, and he wants to do everything he can to make ends meet, keep the keep the circus afloat in the tough times. What? Why does Tim Burton always think about you in relation to circuses? Well, so far it's been. You know, Batman and... I don't know. I guess we're odd people, you know? Yeah. He is and I am, and we we like that. Don't excuse my feet. No, put, put him up. <laughs> you know, put him up. Uh, yeah, I think there's a, there's a kind of, uh, you know, oddity, like, that he likes and I like. I like about him, and he likes about me. We get along in that way. We're odd people out, kind of, you know. And the, Tim is always uh, perceived as being, like, a certain way he's he's been dealing with it for many years he does he deals with it really well uh he's actually just funny outgoing and sweet shy uh artist right yeah he's an artist <laughs> what was it like reteaming with with keaton i mean he you talked earlier about it kind of egging him on that yeah. you were the good guy this time yeah yeah keaton and i we go back to johnny dangerously oh, that's and right. he's always been like a just a, one of those guys, you know, really good guy. And, you know, when you'd see him around doing whatever, whether it was at some function or, you know, wherever we bumped into each other, we always had really a good good feeling about each other. And it was nice. Of course, being the Penguin and his Batman was great. Very happy that I got to do that. And and now here we are again. Medici and Vanderveer. <laughs> Well, uh, Take it on the road. <laughs> uh, what was? The, you haven't talked to a lot about your Mars Attacks experience. It was a great experience. Vegas, Vegas, baby. What was unique about that one was, uh, you know, of course, working with Tim and being, uh, he said well, I was going to get killed by a Martian. I thought, well, I'm going to definitely do this movie. And uh, we worked at night in Vegas because we had to have the casinos well, for some reason, uh, yeah, I guess it's obvious that we were we were shooting at night. We shot like four nights, I think, in Vegas. I was only there for four nights, and um, it was really a lot of fun. Very glitzy, very circus-like in a way. You know, I mean, it's not the exact. It wasn't a circus. I don't know where we shot. If we shot at Circus Circus, that would have been like, where did we shoot? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> Because that would make it, then we'd be 
triangular, what do you call it? <laughs> right now we have a circus trilogy going yeah. on, right? <laughs> uh, what do you, you call that? What, the circus trilogy? Well, no, if you've done four, then you can't call it a circus Quadrilogy or something? Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're the guy with the pad and the beard. <laughs> You're the one who's not supposed to know these answers. <laughs> Uh, what do you find the, to be the most sort of satisfying aspect of reteaming with with Burton? I I love watching them work. Okay, I could go. I I don't know if you. Well, you, you went to the set. Right? Yeah, we saw so, him a little bit. You know, I stay on the set. Like even when I'm sometimes when I'm not needed. Yeah, you know, just to watch them work because I love watching them put it all together. So, you know, I'm very uh, forward about that. You know, I like I like. With him, I like hanging out at the monitor and watching him paint. Have you seen the finished movie? Oh yeah. It's so great. what was the most sort of surprise? Because obviously oh. Dumbo wasn't there. Yeah. Well, it was. I knew it was going to be uh, a beautiful. The people who do this stuff are artists themselves. I mean, like the. I think the people in. Uh, I'm not sure the name of the company. I think MPC. MPC. Did yeah. It. Yeah. So MPC is like uh, I'm actually working with them on on the one and only Ivan. They're really uh, it's a pack of you know artists in their own right. Everybody from the animators to the you know all the people who do the and if you have guidance from Tim, who is like a visual artist, that was like amazing to see. I saw the elephant in different stages, like because they had models of it. They were keeping it secret. They wouldn't show anybody. But I was like, you know, I would get in the back there and take a look. Uh, and uh, I knew it was going to be outrageously wonderful. And, you know, it's beyond my wild streams, but it really looks good. I'm yeah. very pleased with the way it came out. Well, thank you so much. It was such a treat to get to talk to you. Before we leave the topic of Hercules, uh, have we talked yet about the musical that that's they're, they're trying out this summer as part of the Shakespeare in the park thing at central park. Oh my God. I want to go. So we bad. have to, that's, it sounds wonderful. Well, we're going to have to figure out. how. No, to do it. no, absolutely. I mean, obviously you're a little busy getting married in the front <laughs> half of the summer, but yes, but then afterwards we'll be, we'll be, free. there we go. And it's, it's, this is going to be at the public theater, the Delacorte theater in central park. Performances are going to run from, August 31st through September 8th. It's a relatively short run. Do you remember when Alan Menken first talked about this project and Disney came out like immediately and said in no uncertain terms, there is no Hercules musical in the works. I don't know. You know, I, I don't know what that guy's talking about. Right. Was that sort of classic Disney as in we didn't announce it so it didn't happen? Or, right. or was he working... With the Shakespeare in the Park people to get this going? Yeah, I have no idea, but it, it's going to be awesome. Mm. I can't wait to see it. It sounds great. Yeah, I mean, it's him with David Zippel again, uh, David who, who did the lyrics. The book is being written by Christopher Days, uh, who, by the way, uh, Pulitzer Prize finalist. And uh, I guess Chase Brock is choreographing. I don't know. Oh, a Lear Bassonet or D Bassonet will be directing. So it's in her seventh year with with uh, Shakespeare in the Park. No word yet on the cast, but definitely something worth seeking out. I think we're going to, we should do a live show in New York, some time to this event where we can talk about one of my favorite publicity stunts of all time, the uh, Hercules week in New York. 
Okay. We have to right. do that. All right. We, okay. we, can, we can go to the site of the Warner store, the, the one, yes. one store on the parade route that would not turn off its lights. So Yes. All yes. right. Though, again, we were just talking about things we should definitely seek out in folks. If you you know you want to listen to some really entertaining stuff, you have to chase down Drew's amazing Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse, and you just completed yes. that amazing set of three shows <laughs> yeah. with Brad Bird. Yeah, it was crazy, but it's done now. <laughs> so we're we're doing some different things um, now. We don't have a lot of guests lined up yet, but Charles is having a baby. I'm getting married. It's sort of a there's a lot of life stuff going on right now. But please listen to Light the Fuse and. And Jim, I was listening to your most recent podcast with Lynn, and you for the one podcast you forgot was fine tuned. So I have to admonish you for that. Person. Okay. All right. Let, let me do it right this time. Okay. So on my side of the fence, we have the podcast I do with Lynn Testa, Disney Dish. We have the marvelous Disney podcast. We also have Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z. Uh, in fact. You're going to be doing Star Wars Celebration 2 in Chicago, right? So Yeah, let's do, have me on the show, okay, man. There we I'm go. Ready. There we go. We'll do a recap on the ground right there. Okay. We have I Want That with Michelle Valladolid and Fine Tuning, the, the wonderful show that you are listening to right now. Speaking <laughs> of which, uh, if you could do Drew and I a favor, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show, that'd be terrific. Likewise, uh, if you really want to support what we're doing here, uh, head over to Bandcamp and subscribe. We're going to be doing some fun new Bandcamp exclusive shows shortly. Beyond that, I think we're done for today, Drew. Yeah, I think we covered a lot. Yes, okay. So, all right. Have a good night, folks. Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.